So our Bible reading this morning comes from Psalm 119, select verses. Um, So the first is starting from verse 1 to verse 8. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes, never abandon me. Then from verse 17 to 24. Deal generously with your servant so that I might live. Then I will keep your word. Open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. I am a resident alien on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. I am continually overcome with longing for your judgments. You rebuke the arrogant, the ones under a curse who wander from your commands. Take insults and and contempt away from me, for I have kept your decrees. Though princes sit together speaking against me, Your servant will think about your statutes. Your decrees are my delight and my counsellors. Moving to verse 41. Let your faithful love come to me, Lord, your salvation as you promised. Then I can answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take the word of truth from my mouth, for I hope in your judgments. I will always obey your instruction forever and ever. I will walk freely in an open place because I study your precepts. I will speak of your decrees before kings and not be ashamed. I delight in your commands, which I love. I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 103 to 105. How sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And the last section is from verse 169 to 176. Let my cry reach you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea reach you. Rescue me according to your promise. My lips pour out praise. For you teach me your statutes. My tongue sings about your promise, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your instruction is my delight. Let me live, and I will praise you. May your command may your judgments help me. I wander like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. For I do not forget your commands. So far the reading. We often think of law in quite a negative way. If we don't obey the law, we get punished. If we obey the law, just nothing happens. To us, much of the time, the law is either neutral or negative. If we don't pay our taxes, we get fined. If we pay them nothing happens. If we attack someone, we get imprisoned. 
If we don't attack anyone, nothing happens. If we drive over the speed limit, we get fined and we're giving de given demerit points. If we always stay within the speed limits, nothing happens. We don't get brownie points for paying taxes and not attacking people. We don't get merit points for driving safely, just demerit points if we break the laws. There's no good side, no reward for doing well. By contrast, China is planning a national rollout of what they call a social credit system of demerit and merit points. I think the principle is good. There's positive encouragement for good citizens and as well as punishment for being a bad citizen. Demerit points apply for bad driving, just like here, but also for things like excessive use of video games, posting certain types of things on the internet or social media, even wasting money on frivolous purchases. I wonder how that would go here. Someone with lots of demerit points will find their travel and opportunities restricted. Even their internet speed could be reduced. But for those who accumulate merit points, it opens up access to the best jobs, the best schools for their children, easier travel, discounts on energy bills, better bankers' interest rates, and so on. Now, that system includes what we see as an intrusive level of government control, and we wouldn't agree with their idea of what makes a good or bad citizen. But my point is this. It's not all one-sided and negative. There's punishment for being what's considered a bad citizen, but also a reward for being a good citizen, a carrot as well as a stick. God's law in the Old Testament is two-sided like that too. Punishment for disobeying, promises of a reward for obeying. Consider the third of the Ten Commandments, paraphrasing it slightly. Do not make an idol for yourself, or God will bring the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him, but he will show faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Punishment for disobedience, love for obedience. Or take the fifth commandment. Honour your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land the Lord is giving you. There's an implied punishment if you don't honour the Lord your God, you won't live long, uh, but you're promised a long life in a good land if you do obey. Punishment and promise. So when we come to a passage like Psalm 119 that's praising God's law, we need to approach it with the mindset of ancient Israel. The law promises good things for obedience as well as punishment for disobedience. It's two-sided and it is just. It's not all negative like we often think of laws. There are both punishments and promises. The writer of Psalm 119 loves God's law. He loves it for the promises of obedience as well as for the righteousness of the judgment on disobedience. Before we look at the psalm, a few brief technical notes. Psalm 119, as I said before, is famous for being very long. It's an acrostic poem, which means that each group of eight verses starts with a different letter of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. The overall theme concerns love of God's law, but there doesn't seem to me at least to be a, a clear pattern in the way that various aspects of that are, are explored through the psalm. So because of that and because of the length of the psalm, we'll just look at those few parts of it today. As for who wrote it, we're not sure. Unlike many psalms, this one doesn't start with a helpful note saying who the author was. King David seems the most likely and some early manuscripts did note him as the author. So let's assume it was David. Mostly it doesn't matter, except perhaps when we get to the very last part of the psalm. 
And finally, as Nelica pointed out, the psalm mentions laws and statutes, which are rules basically, and it mentions precepts, commands and instructions, which are directions about action or conduct. It's not a major distinction for our purposes today, so let's not get distracted by the different words that for our purposes say much the same thing. Let's start with the first group of eight verses. Uh, you just heard them, so I won't read, read them now. They're a bit small, but that's so that you can see the whole lot in one go. Um, <coughs> they're probably in the weekly bulletin as well. Uh, David opens by declaring his delight for those who live God's way, the way of life God has set out in his instructions, which is found in the scriptures. Then straight away in verse 2, he turns to happiness. Happy are those who keep God's decrees and seek him with all their hearts. Happiness is something people today, in our day, focus on. Often it's their main goal in life. But they wander along many false paths to try to find it. And the further they wander, the more they pretend God is a myth or a fairy tale. True happiness is found in God's law, says David. It's God's outline of how we are to live in love and obedience to our true Lord. In verses 4 and 5, believers are to be diligent in following God's law. But then David laments that he finds he cannot do so. In verse 6, it makes him feel ashamed before God when he considers how he continually fails to keep God's laws. He wants to be committed to them, but finds he cannot. And that's our situation too, isn't it? We know God's law. We know how we should live in obedience to God. But we're unable to do it properly. We cannot reach up to God by what we do. After all, he is perfect and we are imperfect. He's our creator, so there's nothing that we could do that would impress him. And it'd be um, arrogant of us to think that there was. We cannot earn our salvation by what we do. We cannot earn a relationship with God and eternal life by what we do. The Apostle Paul writes about it in this way, Romans uh, 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. So what do we do about that? David decides he will simply praise God anyway and devote himself to learning God's righteous ways and judgments in verse 7. He will try to keep God's law, that is, he'll try to live in God's ways in verse 8, but he knows he will continue to fail and he pleads with God not to ever abandon him despite his failings. God's standard, the pass mark for our lives, is perfection in love and obedience to God. We will always fall short of that standard. We will never match up and that's why we need saving. Further on in Romans 7, What a wretched man I am, Paul writes. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's only by God's grace in substituting Jesus' perfect life in place of our own flawed life that we can be called into God's presence now and forever. We are saved not by what we do. We cannot be. We're saved by placing our faith in Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Life, true life, 
the life we were designed for. It's found in faith in Jesus, not by what we do or however well we obey the law. Because, just like David, we will always fail to keep the law perfectly. Jesus kept God's law perfectly. And therefore he is the just substitute for us so that our relationship with God can be restored. It's the relationship we were designed and created for. As you know, Jesus took on himself the consequences that follow on from our failure to meet God's standard. And when we place our trust in Jesus and his sacrifice on our behalf, his righteous life is accounted to us. That is how our merciful God dealt with our shortcomings. He took the consequences himself. He remains just and righteous because the consequences have been suffered, but by Jesus, not by us. We have only to accept Jesus and our relationship with God is restored. Moving on now to verse 17 of the psalm. David starts with the very same thing that God provided for us in Jesus. Deal generously with your servant so that I might live, then I will keep your word. Open my eyes that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. I am a resident alien on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. I am continually overcome with longing for your judgments. You rebuke the arrogant, the ones under a curse, who wander from your commands. Take insult and contempt away from me, for I have kept your decrees. Though princes sit together speaking against me, your servant will think about your statutes. Your decrees are my delight and my counsellors. In verse 18, David wants to learn and understand what he calls wondrous things from the scriptures. For in the scriptures, God reveals his character and his design for our lives, how we are to live in a way that honours and pleases God. When you, and when you think about God's amazing, generous lift, uh, gift of Jesus, how would we not want to live in a way that is pleasing to God? To not do that would be, well, it would be ungrateful and rude. Verse 19 in the CSB translation has that wonderful line, I am a resident alien on earth. Sounds a bit sci-fi to me, but it says a profound truth in just a few words. Simply, we do not belong here. Christians are citizens of heaven, and we're just temporary residents on planet Earth, travelling through on our way to a better destination. In some ways, we're as alien as if we came from Mars. This is important to keep in mind. Why? Let me paraphrase Calvin into modern English. The aim of worldly people is to spend their life here easily and quietly. But we know that we have a journey to pursue and we have our inheritance reserved for us in heaven. So we're not engrossed or tangled up with the perishable things of this world. Rather, we look forward to our goal of heaven. End of quote. In fact, Calvin paraphrases verse 19 this way. Lord, since I must quickly pass through the earth, what will become of me if I'm deprived of the doctrine of your law? Meaning, if we're on a cheerful journey to heaven, our starting point for that journey is God's law. From verse 21, David understands that those who reject God's ways are rebuked and cursed as a consequence. He wants to avoid behaving in a way that rejects God's commands. He wants to avoid being insulting or contemptuous. Even when he's challenged by powerful opponents like princes, he will be guided by God's law in verse 23. He even goes to, so to far, 
He even goes so far as to call God's law his counsellors or advisors. This is more than just ignoring the advice of people who reject God. He's not relying on his own judgment either. His decisions are based on God's word and what it advises David that his words and actions should be. For us, the Holy Spirit is called our counsellor and there's a good reason for that as he brings to our minds God's ways, God's laws that apply to whatever situation we're in. How precious it is that we have what David longed for, to have God's counsellor living within us all the time. Let's jump forward to verse 41 and look at this section briefly. David writes, Let your faithful love come to me, Lord, your salvation as you promised. Then I can answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take the word of truth from my mouth, for I hope in your judgments. I will always obey your instruction forever and ever. I will walk freely in an open place, because I study your precepts. I will speak of your decrees before kings and not be ashamed. I delight in your commands, which I love. I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and will meditate on your statutes. David is bold in speaking about God and his laws or his ways. There is freedom when we hold to God's teaching about how to live our lives and honour our creator. David was not ashamed to speak openly about his relationship with God to anyone, even people in, possessions of, in positions of immense power like kings in verse 46. David's love of the law is greater than any challenge, any taunt in verse 42 or any situation in verse 46. There's an example here for us as well, isn't there? We often feel reluctant to tell people about our relationship with God for various reasons. But David sees a freedom in telling people about his God. It doesn't matter to him if people ridicule him or if he risks the anger even of kings. Telling people about Jesus is a freedom, not a burden. If Jesus is the fundamental core of our life, there's freedom in being open with people about who we really are. David goes further in verse 45, where he writes, I will walk freely in an open place because I study your precepts. To paraphrase Calvin again, if we live in obedience to God, we are rewarded by being able to walk or travel our life with a calm and composed mind. If we should meet with difficulties, we will find the means of surmounting them. But no matter how submissive we are to God, we may still find ourselves in difficult situations. Yet, despite the trouble and toil, we will not be in unending distress because God will provide a way forward where there seems to be no way. Calvin continues, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. End of quote. Telling people about Jesus is a freedom, not a burden. No matter what our situation, there's freedom in being open with people about who we really are in Christ. There's a well-known section in the middle of the psalm from verse 103. I can think of at least two songs that use these verses and we, we just sang one of them. How sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. 
I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. <coughs> Pardon me. Honey was the sweetest thing that could be tasted in the old world, in the ancient world. Yet David loves God's law so much that speaking it out loud makes his mouth feel sweeter than if it was full of honey. It's a powerful image, isn't it? And if you love the law that much, of course you'll want to obey and follow the law. There is delight and freedom and joy in following God's law, living our lives in God's ways. David goes on in verse 104 to say that he gains understanding from the law. God's law provides us with a template, if you like, for our life, a direction, and most importantly, a purpose. There is value and meaning in a relationship with God, for it's what we were designed for. God's word, the law, the Bible, guides us in understanding what God has revealed about himself. It guides us in understanding the relationship we're designed for, and it guides us in the ways we're to live out of thankfulness and receive his blessings now and into eternity with him. Also in verse 104, David says that he hates the false paths of life, things our deceitful hearts will lead us into, yet which are opposed to God's plans for us. Today, and look, probably in those days too, the society around is continually heading off onto false paths, searching for happiness, but denying God and charging blindly into the darkness. In contrast, we have verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. A light means we can see the path. If you imagine bushwalking in the dark without a light, how easy would it be to stumble or to get lost? But a torch lets you see the path. Or if you go on a cave tour, part of the way along they always turn off the lights to show how dark it is. And everyone goes, ooh. How would you find your way out of the cave without a light and without falling down a crevasse or turning the wrong way and getting lost? You wouldn't. You couldn't. David says God's word, his law, is the light that shows us the path through life. If we walk step by step in the light that God's law gives, we won't go astray. We have the added benefit of the Holy Spirit with us always, guiding us in God's ways bringing God's law to our attention in every situation. When I was a teenager, a long while ago, uh, not yet a Christian, I thought about the ways my life might go. Uh, truth be told, it wasn't very inspiring. I thought about the conventional things people did with their lives and it seemed very routine and shallow. It also seemed scary to try to navigate through, hoping things would somehow turn out okay. There seemed to be a lot of negative possibilities and not a lot of positives that had real meaning. Looking back now, it's quite terrifying how empty it all seemed, how empty it was. And yet there are people I've known since back then who have gone through that empty life, trying to make something meaningful of it with hobbies or work or holidays. But those are just sad crumbs compared to the banquet of life with Jesus. T.S. Eliot called such people the hollow men after death in his poem of the same name. But to me, they seem like ho hollow people now too. God's law is the true light for our path through life. Let's go to the final verses of the psalm. 
Let my cry reach you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea reach you. Rescue me according to your promise. My lips pour out praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue sings about your promise, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your instruction is my delight. Let me live, and I will praise you. May your judgments help me. I wander like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. These finishing verses bring us more into David's particular situation. By finishing the psalm in this way, we see that he feels oppressed and attacked by his enemies. In David's case, physically chased around the country by an army. His life is in danger, and he responds to that with verse 175. If God lets him live, he will praise God both in what he says and in how he lives. And God's law will guide him in how to do that. Finally, in verse 176, David pleads for God to provide relief and bring him to a place of safety and peace. He knows that holding firmly to God's commands, God's laws, is the pathway that will lead him to the safety he desires. And the same goes for us. Whatever challenges and difficulties we have in life, even if we are beaten down or actively oppressed, the critical thing is to stay true to God as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. There is no other way out of the mess and pain that this life can bring. In conclusion then, the Apostle Paul wrote this to Timothy, to Timothy 3. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's law reveals his character, his blueprint for how we are to live. Following his laws, following his laws will not get us into heaven. Only faith in Jesus can do that. But if we're trusting in Jesus, we will naturally want to live God's way out of thankfulness. And God's law guides us, the lamp, like a lamp for our feet, about how to do that. China is trying to make people conform to values decided by some men in charge of the country. We live also in a country whose values are very different to God's ways and which is departing further and further away from God all the time. We have to resist being drawn along those false paths and instead we must follow God's design and his plan for how we are to live, the light for our path, and that's revealed in God's law. In Star Trek, Strange New Worlds 2.2, a civil rights lawyer says this, Do you know why I love the law? Because the law is not a mirror to society. A law is an ideal, a beacon to remind us how to be our better selves. She wasn't talking about God's law, but if she had been, she couldn't have said it better. Let's pray. Father, our Lord, help us to have even a little of the immense love for your Lord that David had. Thank you for revealing to us something of what you are like and how we are to worship you, honour you and obey you in love. Your scriptures are lamps showing us the path you have prepared for us to walk. Help us to walk confidently in your guidance, your care, your love. Grant us the faith to trust you and live each day following your ways shown to us in your law. And we ask this humbly through Jesus. Amen.